0: Hi, I'm TechCrunch Managing Editor, Daryl Etherington. Welcome back to the TechCrunch Podcast, where we cover everything you need to know about the week's top stories in tech from the people who wrote them. This week, we're talking to Becca Skutak about the fraught state of extension rounds for many early-stage startups, and Devin Coldaway about upcoming changes to Instagram that a lot of users agree will make the app much worse. But before we get into all that, here's what else is going on in tech news this week. Plenty of the biggest tech companies reported their earnings results this week, including Apple, Amazon, and Meta. Apple's earnings showed some issues on the hardware side, likely impacted by supply chain issues. The iPhone maker's service revenue now accounts for a huge and growing chunk of its profits, however, so watch for more new products and offerings there. Amazon's earnings revealed a $2 billion loss, but they still beat analyst estimates for the quarter. The loss was due entirely to their investment in Rivian, but only time will tell whether that proves a wise move. Facebook owner Meta also reported earnings, and for the first time ever since they debuted as a public company, they saw revenue decline quarter over quarter. That has understandably got investors rattled, but it is worth noting that some analysts suggest the loss was actually because of an artificial spike in online ad spending due to the pandemic. There's plenty of earnings coverage to check out on TC from Brian Heater, Lauren Forrestal, Amanda Silverling, and more. Speaking of Amazon's investment in Rivian, the truck maker is laying off around 6% of its workforce, according to a company-wide email sent out by CEO RJ Scaringe this week. The move is designed around increasing the company's cost efficiency through restructuring, he said. Rivian has increased the price of its vehicles in response to rising supply costs and the current macroeconomic environment. You can check out more on TC from Kirsten Korosek. T-Mobile has reached a settlement with a class action lawsuit filed against it for last year's massive data breach. The company will pay out $350 million to be divided among participants in the class, minus lawyer fees, of course. The class could include as many as 76.6 million U.S. residents, so depending on how many sign up, the payout is likely to be fairly small, as little as $9 per person. First up, Becca Skutak is walking us through both the VC and the founder side of the extension round struggle. Hi, Becca. Hey. Thanks for coming on. Really happy to talk to you about this. I guess it's not the sunniest of topics, but it's a really pertinent topic these days for startups. So You wrote an article on TechCrunch Plus about how a lot of startups have strong interest in getting an extension round, but it doesn't seem like every one of those startups is going to get that extension round. So can you tell us a bit about what's going on here?
1: Yeah, so the origin of the story actually came on the investor side a few weeks ago, a couple of pre-seed investors started tweeting about the fact that they are getting all of these requests from companies that had already raised substantial funding looking for bridge financing. And both of these particular investors wrote really small checks. So they were saying like, this must really be like a hair on fire situation if they're reaching out to us. Not that they don't want to help, obviously, but their check size versus the ask was just like it did not compare. So I thought that was pretty interesting. And after talking with them, it occurred to me that, of course, I wanted to get the side from the actual startups themselves. And once I put out a feeler trying to get a few people to talk to me about their experience, so many people reached out to me in the first like hour or two. And a lot of people were saying that they were just really struggling. And some of them were even in the situation where they had already gotten commitments that had been pulled. And just a lot of people were feeling just a little abandoned by either previous investors or future investors that seemed originally very keen to help out. So I just thought that was pretty interesting to kind of dive in there. And what stouts me the most is that the general consensus is the people raising extension capital right now are the people who probably need it the least.
0: Oh, okay. Right. So there's a few things going on there. I know we saw uh, now like a few weeks ago, basically to kick off sort of spring summer, we saw a lot of the funds go to the blogs, go to their blogs and say like, hey, like get runway. Everybody should be essentially trying to extend the runway as much as possible. That means tightening the budgets if you already have money in the bank, or it might mean getting more money into the bank, right? So that is naturally going to create a glut on people looking for cash. But it's interesting you say like the ones that are looking for it are the ones that need at least. So can you explain that a little bit more?
1: Yeah, no. And that ties into what you were just saying. A lot of VCs are telling their portfolio companies, even who maybe weren't planning to raise this year or really don't need the extra capital at the moment just to do it now if they can, Mm. so that if the market conditions get worse or like something were to happen, like unforeseen that they have all of this capital in the bank already. Because I know some of the people I spoke to, a few of the startups said the ones who had more ease raising were advised to raise the capital and even though they didn't need it and then found that those investors who advised them to were happy to kind of throw in some capital themselves versus some of the other startups who are also getting that advice from outside investors who were not backers of their company and yet weren't having the same success.
0: Right, right. This ties in nicely with something that came up recently. We were talking to a founder of a real estate startup on our found podcast, but they're saying like, you know, the money is not actually going away. Like the money is there. The investors have money. The LPs have money, right? Because we think about the recession or whatever. It's not a recession yet officially, but we think about the downturn that we're currently undergoing. And we think like, oh, that means money is sort of drying up, right? But it's less that it's money is drying up and more that, it's less available. So what's going on there? Like people have the money to give, but they clearly don't want to hand it out for whatever reason at the moment.
1: Yeah, they're actually, this year's on pace for record VC fundraising. The first half of this year raised the most money for the first half of a year ever. Yeah, and we cover a lot
0: of new funds all the time, right? Oh yeah, of
1: course. It seems like no one's having issues on that end of the front, but it seems like from what I've heard just from talking to a few different investors, is that because a lot of people you know you have a fund a period to sort of deploy the fund and a lot of people if they especially if they raised capital last year as opposed to this year they deployed maybe too much of it or kind of right. went ahead of themselves so now especially if the market's volatile it's a great excuse to kind of just like sit out for a while i don't think people will really be on the sidelines for very long especially mm-hmm. with the amount of capital people have raised cuz lps are going to start asking what's going on and people have to sort of show their work for the money that they've raised, but definitely is something that the founders I talked to mentioned that it gets a little more frustrating, a little more painful to not be able to raise, especially when you're talking to say a firm that just closed a ginormous fund (laughs) and what you're asking for wouldn't even be like a comma on the spreadsheet. Like startup founders definitely are clued in and kind of frustrated with this dynamic for sure.
0: Yeah. So how much then, because the other thing that came up with this was one of the reasons maybe that they're reserving their powder kegs, I guess, is that like they feel the valuations have gotten far too high. So does that come into play when you're going out and looking for an extension round? Like, what is the valuation conversation going with these startups, or did you get into that when you're talking to them?
1: There are definitely some startups who are just at like the pre seed seed stage who probably don't have the lofty valuation from last mm-hmm. year that are still struggling themselves. But That did come up repeatedly, especially on the investor side, that there are a lot of companies who raised at absolutely crazy valuations last year who are now kind of looking for this extension capital because there's just no way that they can raise another proper round without some more capital to kind of help them hit some of the more milestones along the way. But it sounds like those companies are also struggling to raise the bridge financing because a lot of investors... Or just like, I don't think, not even if like opinions about the company and the growth and the progress aside, it's just like the math just doesn't math on that end.
0: Right. (laughs) (laughs) You mentioned that even like smaller startups are not having that, even if they don't have these balloon valuations. So like, how difficult is that? And is there a chicken and egg problem where you're like... I just need a little bit of money to build out kind of an MVP and get some traction numbers so I can go back to the well. And yet I can't get that. So how do I get the money to begin with? Because it it seems like people, VCs tend to turn into all of a sudden more traditional business people when a Mm. downturn like this happens. They're like, all right, show me the revenue numbers and show me the traction. Show me that. Whereas before they were like, you got Moxie, kid. Like, here's uh, $50 million or whatever.
1: (laughs) No, that definitely came up because it's definitely a different conversation, this sort of topic, depending on what stage you're at, Mm -hmm. because a series A company, I mean, if maybe you raised at a big valuation last year and you're going out for extension financing and you don't have the revenue numbers to back yourself up, like you have a big uphill battle in front of you. But knowing from talking to some of the earlier stage, pre-seed, seed seed type companies, one startup based in Germany who told me that he was really frustrated because going out and trying to raise, he found that a lot of the investors he spoke to were sort of evaluating like a hard line for revenue. Mm. Like, oh, we want revenue in this range. We want X, Y, and Z. And he was just like, well you didn't even look at our business. Like, If you looked at our business, you would know why we don't have those revenue numbers yet and the fact that that isn't a red flag. So there's definitely some sort of like, it seems broad-based revenue expectations from investors, which depending on the stage, if you're really early stage, it's not realistic to expect a pre-seed company to have a certain amount of revenue to even get a conversation off the ground. That just is like, Like I was saying, it just some companies not having revenue is a red flag, but some of these companies not having revenue yet just wouldn't be a red flag in other circumstances.
0: But it sounds like the on the investor side, they're kind of just like, we need some kind of criteria because we're, our mode right now is is essentially winter mode, right? Like we're hibernating, we're waiting. And so they're just trying to come up with an excuse and that's a handy one to handle inbound. Is that, do you think something that's going on there or do you think it is all actually about like the math and they think that that is going to affect the long term viability of the business?
1: No, I think absolutely. It's the first Thing. Mm. A few of the founders I spoke to were saying that it seemed like investors were just looking for easier ways to say no.
0: Right. Yeah. With that much volume out there, like there's got to be something right. I mean, we have similar kind of things, I guess. Don't. Well, this is a podcast. so I was going to say, don't tell me, but but like for inbound PR, right. It's like, oh, we're not doing whatever at the moment. It's like, right. <laughs> Maybe we're not actually doing that. We just get a lot of emails. (laughs) Yeah. So what can people do then? Are you seeing founders take alternate paths or do things differently in order to replace these bridge rounds or to extend their runway in more creative ways, I guess?
1: One of the big ones that I've heard both from a few of the startups I talked to for this story as well as for a story I wrote probably about a month ago at this point is a lot of companies are turning to equity crowdfunding sites. Mm, so places okay. like Republic, WeFunder, and the like. And they're finding that, especially some, like one of the companies I spoke to is a consumer app called Rights. And it's essentially meant to be used for different civil rights scenarios so that you can quickly look up what's happening and sort of what your legal rights are in that situation, mm-hmm. which is really interesting. Yeah. And he was saying that because they have users, they thought, equity crowdfunding, if they can't raise the bridge round at the moment, might be a great place because they already have users who back them socially. Sure. So they could back them financially. And I know from doing that story on equity crowdfunding a few weeks ago, they are already seeing an uptick this year in activity and as well as dollars sort of invested across those platforms. So it definitely seems like despite the market volatility, retail investors are still interested in funding startups in that way mm-hmm. and companies that they know. So that's definitely a great option. Another one would be venture debt. Venture debt, especially if you're one of those companies maybe who is going to get missed out just for like not hitting some of those milestones because they're really early. Venture debt could be a great option for those companies. A way to kind of if you know you're on the right path and like you have investors helping you out, but they just can't write that last check. Like that's a great sort of financial product to take on in that stage.
0: And I guess just generally, do you think that I know it's hard to predict, but do you anticipate that we'll see a lot more of these? Because I've seen a lot of the plus rounds going around. So it's Mm. like as much as there's a ton of volume of these, maybe not going through, a lot of them are too, right? Like there's an overall uptick in volume of these bridge rounds going on. Do you think that continues? Do you think it has a kind of a window during which it can happen? Or do you think we get back to like kind of business as usual? Or is it too hard to say, I guess, at this
1: point? I think it'll continue, but I don't think it'll continue into next year. Hmm. My guess is that it'll continue through most of Q3. And then Q4, people will kind of start getting back to how it not necessarily how it was. I don't think it'll go back to 2021 levels by any means. But I right. think approaching the end of the year, some investors are going to be like, oh, well, maybe we shouldn't have sat X out. Or maybe if Y is coming back to market, we really should consider investing more, sort of taking that conversation. So my guess is that it'll last for a few more months. My other question with this is that will something... Bad is not maybe the right word, but will a company like go under because they could not raise this Mm, financing and be like a wake up call for investors who maybe were like, oh, we just they were a good company. We weren't investing. So we assumed, you know, the gap somebody else would pick it up. Right. And then it didn't because I'm sure that's going to happen. And when yeah. that happens, I'm just curious how much of a catalyst that would be. If maybe that ends it quicker than I'm predicting if nothing like that happens. But I mean, something like that's kind of inevitable. And I'm curious how the dominoes will fall after that.
0: For sure. Yeah. I mean, if it hasn't already happened, but like, I wonder generally at the reaction of that, like how many times is there a case where something like that happens and people are like, damn, we should have given them like two more months and made, then they would have made it. Or is everyone just like, who could say
1: <laughs> like, I know.
0: when things die? Cause it's kind of, you never know, right? It's not like you're like, oh, I missed out on that Facebook investment. It's like, well, you know what happened with that, right? But like, if you're like, well, what if they had had like three more months, right? Like it's all speculative, I guess. Right?
1: Yeah. No, I'm yeah. sure some investors have instances maybe where it wasn't in a company that went on to be successful, but I'm sure some of the successful startups of today, there were, entrepreneurs who tried that exact same thing years ago and couldn't get the funding. And maybe those investors who passed and then were like, oh, shoot, well, that company that I never even heard of went on to be a winner. Maybe that company I passed on would have been had they had the right backing and guidance True. and the like so i'm sure there are at least a few investors out there who already have like been through something kind of similar to that and sort of realized that they missed out on something that could have grown into something great
0: yeah and some of those people might be investors themselves at this point right but Definitely. and maybe they'll give you your bridge round if you find the right person <laughs> <laughs> thanks so much becca it was great talking to you
1: no thank you so much
0: next devin coldaway joins us to talk about how instagram is getting worse Hey, Devin, how's it going? Yeah, not too bad. Good. All right. So this week, lots of drama in the Instagram verse. You know, that's what they call it. I mean, that's that's, (laughs) that's what they're trying to get us to call it. But I don't know if it's going to stick. No, but I don't know if anything's going to stick. It seems like not. You were a lucky participant in one of their, I think, fairly large bucket redesign trials that they were doing this week. So do you want to talk a little bit about that?
2: Yeah, yeah. I, I don't know why they picked me. They could not have picked a worse person to. I think this, they like, said must must include Devin. Yeah, they, they left it mostly to chance and they said, please include Devin. In That's one of those that. buckets, it's like random yeah. <laughs> plus Devin. But I got it. Yeah, I got it like, I don't know, a week and a half ago or something like that. I just opened up Instagram. And it was like, I don't know if it even gave me a little warning, like, hey, we're testing out something new. Like, this is temporary. I, I don't remember seeing anything like that. But it was just like, suddenly it was this weird full screen thing. And I was like, OK, well, it's not too bad. But then the way you scrolled was weird. Like, you, you didn't scroll through a feed. You were scrolling between posts like TikTok. Mm-hmm. And it was really pushing the video thing. And I could no longer. The worst thing for me is you could no longer just tap on it to mute stuff. Because I do that all the time because I don't know what my phone's, you know, mute or volume status is like. And usually the background music or whatever on these videos is horrible. So I just want to be able to just be like, ding. All right. No volume. And now it's just a, you know, a video of a Shiba Inu. Right. So you can't do that anymore. And a couple other little minor things that are just like, wait, why are you doing this? This is objectively worse. And it's not the experience that it doesn't seem new or comfortable. It just seems like imitative of TikTok. Right. Well, and I think the why
0: question was an interesting one because you basically provided some answers as to why. Like, it's not like they're doing these things just to make our life difficult. They really do want an outcome out of this. And it seems like
2: what the outcomes they want are essentially to, like, goose the numbers for advertisers. Is that fair? You know, I that's, that's my sort of, like, cynical assumption. I think that, so Adam Mosseri, head of Instagram... Donned his medallion and got on Instagram to no, he got on Twitter to say oh no he did it did he do it on Instagram I can't even remember now everything is the same everything looks the same <laughs> so I don't even know what platform he did this stuff on uh my guess is it's on Instagram by the way I wasn't the only one who didn't like this Kim Kardashian and Kylie Jenner right joined my fight to uh, and and said, make Instagram Instagram again. But anyway, yeah, they lent a- their support to to your argument. Yes, I know, and you know, I, they're such good good friends about this <laughs> uh, this kind of thing. <laughs> Thank you, Kylie and uh, Kim. Yeah. Uh, so anyway, Maseri was uh, he got up there and was like, uh, oh, so you guys are testing out the new Instagram? It's great, right? Oh, it's not. Oh, well, uh it's fine. I mean, it's not meant to be good. Basically, he was like, oh, it's not good yet, and we're like, well, why did you make? hundreds of thousands of people probably use it right but anyway but to your point he said and this is a true thing that a lot of people on instagram are watching a lot more videos because that's just something that people like and that's the reason tiktok took off in the first place is because right. people like short form videos that's just the fact of the matter right now and it's smart of instagram to embrace short form video it did before but it also did it in stories and he said that's where a lot of the growth was in video was in stories because people aren't posting videos to their, you know, their actual account or whatever that lasts forever. They're posting their stories that last for 24 hours. And I mean, and I do this myself as like someone who doesn't really engage with Instagram that much. But I like doing this because you know, a short clip of a bird on your windowsill or like you know, you're out on a boat or something. It's cool. But they embraced it too hard was the problem. Mm-hmm. That instead yeah. of being like, oh, people want to do this. Let's find a a good y way to embrace short form video, which they really already had in stories. And they said it was growing. So why not just keep it that way? Instead, they really mimicked TikTok, which is, you know, TikTok has its own problems of addiction and recommendations and algorithms and stuff like that. So I think they had a reason for doing it that was not simply juicing numbers, although it seems like there were some dark patterns around like, oh, now you absolutely have to like look at a full ad you can never scroll past an ad by accident because you have to view every post full screen as you go past it you have to look at ads you have to look at everything so which seemed a little shady to me
0: yeah i think you're right that they are they're just overall kind of worried about the competition right so they're trying to do things to stay relevant there with some of the audiences especially the audiences and demographics that they compete directly with TikTok for but it seems like the complaints a lot of the complaints were and i think it was explicitly it was one of the kardashians who said like stop trying to be so tiktoky like i just want to see pictures of cute pictures of friends or dogs or whatever yeah. but like that is what i think their biggest struggle is is like they obviously see tiktok as competition and they obviously don't want to become they don't want to get my space by TikTok, right? Mm-hmm. Is probably the fear that keeps them up at night, I would guess. Especially Zuckerberg's, you know, <laughs> he did that to someone. Does he and, feel fear? Well, you know, he is aware of fear. <laughs> <laughs> He's aware of the ingredients in fear. Yeah. And, and so he logically processes it that way. But um, yeah, I think they're very self-conscious about that. But they're in a nearly impossible space. I, like I feel for them in this way where it's like, okay, do we be what we are? and not alienate our users, our massive user base, and then kind of suffer a gradual decline Mm and death? Or do we try to be this other thing that's growing and popular but alienate our entire existing user base in the process, right? It seems like they're trying to find a middle ground by testing and then rolling out different versions of the thing. But I don't know that they can square that
2: circle. No, and I don't know either. And like you said, you know, they're kind of choosing between death with dignity and a dishonorable life, a worth worthless, <laughs> you know, trash life. But I don't, I don't know. I don't know that they could even if they tried that life, because like if you try to go up against TikTok. As you know, if you try to compete with TikTok with a worse version of TikTok, you're going to get steamrolled. TikTok is yeah. already popular, it's already eating their lunch. And I understand, like, and I sympathize in a way as much as you can sympathize with like a bunch of rich, oh, you right, know, well, yeah. all, but, but to a certain extent, I'm just like, yeah, well, it is a tough position to be in. How can you square that circle? They may not be able to. And so they're kind of lashing out, trying everything. But the way they're doing it is so dumb. Like, this weird full screen TikTok clone thing was a bad mm-hmm. move and everybody hated it. It's not like a lot of people were like, actually, the new Instagram is good. No one said that. Everybody said it was bad. And then this is combined with the assurance from Zuckerberg that we're going to go from 15% you know, algorithm suggested posts to 30% algorithm suggested right. posts next year. And everybody's like, who asked for that? Literally yeah. no one. The You are seeing the success of TikTok's algorithmic recommendations which are in a way very, very good because that's kind of the meat of the thing is like discovery. But Instagram is not about discovery. Instagram is about community and friends and like curating your own feed yeah. And I mean, to some extent, of course, TikTok is that is that too, but they do a better job of the discovery thing. So yeah, they're caught between a rock and a hard place, but you know, they kind of put themselves there too. Absolutely. I, yeah. I'm not. I, I, I'm sorry that they are having to do sucky things to stay alive because I would like to use the app and not, you know, have <laughs> 30% of the stuff that comes up be something I don't care about and don't want. But yeah. I don't know. I would rather it didn't disappear either and just go into the dustbin of history. We'll have to move over to Visco or... Uh, I don't know, God forbid, TikTok or something.
0: Yeah, I know. I mean, it's weird because there's like not really a ready alternative that I can think of to what they do. But you're right that it's this could be a generational thing. Like, I don't even know if if younger users want what they do. Right. That might be the big problem for them. But the other problem for them is they chase the same final success metric as Mm -hmm. TikTok in like a pure, not a pure, but like devoid of any other context, they're both looking for engagement, which is what allows them to sell to advertisers. Mm -hmm. And there's no question that TikTok is eating their lunch as you put it on the engagement side. Like that is just the right way to do it. But they're not starting from zero. They're not operating in an a contextual void. So Instagram and Facebook can't just say, okay, all right, we're TikTok, which they have done like a lot of other times. They have essentially pulled that trick many other times previously where they said, oh, well, you know, Snapchat has stories, we'll do stories or whatever, right? Like they've used that to great effect to date. And it seems like with TikTok, it's like, oh, no, these things are too dissimilar. You'd think this is the same because when you go down to it and look at what your key success metrics are, they are the same on paper, but actually they're very, very, very different beasts. And therefore you can't translate success from one into the other.
2: Yeah. Yeah, I agree. And it feels like Instagram is like the crab, like one of those crabs that goes around on the bottom of the sea, like picking up up little things to like stick to its shell <laughs> <laughs> yes. and it's finally it's it's found like another crab and it's trying to stick that crab to its shell and everybody's like oh no this it's not the same They're like the crab's like no i'm my own crab i'm, like, I'm crab. my own crab i'm gonna put you on my shell <laughs> so it's becoming a, a real crab fight
0: <laughs> well i mean i don't want to belabor this anymore because i think that's the perfect place to end because i want people to think of the, the battle between instagram and tiktok as a an eternal crab fight <laughs> but thanks so much Devin and i'm glad that your stuff is all reverted masseria has felt guilt and apologized to you personally
2: and uh, reverted your feed so it hasn't so reverted yet for you. it's still the crappy oh. one so it's, okay, it's gonna well, be another crab fight if he's not careful
0: yeah get on it adam he, he needs his stuff back <laughs> oh my god <laughs> That's it for this week. Thanks for joining us. And remember to check out all the stories we talked about in this episode on TechCrunch.com. Be sure to use our TC Plus promo code TCpodcast, all one word, to get 20% off on both annual and two-year terms. And be sure to check out all our other TC podcasts, Found, Equity, Chain Reaction, and the TechCrunch Live podcast. See you next week. The TechCrunch podcast is hosted by myself, managing editor Daryl Etherington. We're produced by Maggie Stamitz with editing by Kel Keller. Bryce Durbin is our illustrator. Alyssa Stringer leads audience development, and Henry Pickovit manages TechCrunch's audio products. Thanks for listening, and we'll be back next week.